We hope you enjoy this message from Expression Church of Huntington. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long will thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil, and go, and I will send thee to the Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Did the Lord just tell him to lie? <laughs> There's a sound bite. I can just see it now. They'll just take that little piece right there and post that all over the internet. And, and, uh, and Samuel did that, which the Lord, let's see where I'm at here. And called Jesse to a sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him, uh, him who I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled at Samuel's coming, and he said, come, they said, come out peacefully, and he said, peaceably I am come to the sacrifice and to the Lord, sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice, and he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come he, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not unto his countenance, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab, and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen him. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And then Samuel says to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all your children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. He's out in the farm. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch for him. For we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took this horn, the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Saul was the king of Israel during that time. Saul was not God's chosen, but man chose Saul. God wanted to be the king. He wanted to be representation of himself. So he looks at the children of Israel and he says, listen, you guys, they come out of, they crossed over the Red Sea. They crossed over the Jordan River after 40 years in the wilderness. They established settlements in the Jericho and the, uh, the land that flows with milk and, uh, milk and honey in the, the land that flows or the Canaan Valley. They had judges that were there once Joshua passed away. And now the children of Israel and the elders gather together and says, listen, we really need somebody to represent us like all these other nations, these heathen nations do. And God said, really, I want to be your king. I really don't expect somebody else to represent you. But it'd really be, can't you just let me represent you? You've always been looking to man for something. Why can't you just look to me? But finally they said, no, we don't really want it that way. And, and, and when the, the, the prophets came together and Samuel came together, 
They said to him, they said, listen, you're going to have a problem here, God says. He said, because the minute they choose man, man will get them in trouble. He'll take their kids to war. He'll get them in debt. But if they would have looked to me, I would have set them free. But he then says to them, but nevertheless, give them what they want. So he calls Saul to be the king, and Saul becomes the king of, of Israel. And Saul is a Benjaminite from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul was tall, good-looking guy, kind of looked the part, good representation, because that's what the people, the people wanted. They wanted somebody to represent them to look good. Because they looked for the outward appearance, but God was looking in the heart. So Saul becomes king. And as Saul becomes king, things begin to move and things begin to progress. And he begins to take established settlements there in the area. And he begins to set people up in leadership and as elders, Samuel still being the prophet. Uh, Saul now is you know, making progress in, in ways they should go. Um, the problem was there was a time when Samuel was supposed to come back and make an offering. And when he was going to come back and make an offering, Saul went outside of his boundaries as a king. So Saul waited on Samuel to come. Samuel was late. Saul goes and makes a, a sacrifice himself. And when Saul made the sacrifice himself, he operated in an office or a calling that he wasn't operating or officially called to operate. When that happened, Samuel comes and says, what have you done? From that day forward... Well, what happened was Samuel and Saul had a private conversation. And Saul says, today, or Samuel says, today, Saul, the kingdom has rent from side of you. It's, it's taken from your hands. You're no longer going to be the one that's going to lead this thing. Saul looks back at Samuel and says, okay, what have I done? He, he kind of repented within his heart. The problem was the damage was already done. Saul looks back at Samuel and says, well, okay, listen, I understand that this is all going to happen. He says, but can you do this? Can you, can you make me look good in front of the people? Don't put me out here in front of everybody and make me look like I don't have any authority. In other words, it was all about the people to begin with. That's how he got elected and appointed. That's how he wanted to lead. If you're only leading and you're only in your role from an outward appearance, you have to sustain yourself from an outward appearance. It's either in or it's not. Samuel looks at him and says, well, you're out of your head. Ain't happening, bud. It's not the way this works. So Samuel and Saul come through the motions and they come out in front of the people. And here's the problem. Samuel was so much respected of Saul that Samuel started mourning. Now, Samuel is the prophet of God. Here's how this worked. The prophet spoke to the people on behalf of God. A priest speaks to God on behalf of the people. The king rules the government of the entire assets of the kingdom. Okay? Make sense? So you had a king, you had a priest, you had a prophet. The king rules the governmental aspects. He's the guy. He's the decision maker. Samuel being the prophet, because the prophet would speak to the people, this is what God said. And the priest would go to God on behalf of the people and intercede. That's how it worked. Samuel had so much respect for Saul that when the kingdom was rent from him, Samuel began to mourn, tore him apart. My gosh, he was, it was awful. You ever, you ever recognize when something's changed 
something's not like it used to be, God has already moved on, and we still try to hang on to something that's dead, but even though we think it's got life, because we're still hanging on to the memory of what it was. The Bible says that obey the Lord and live by every word that proceedeth out of his mouth. What that's saying is proceedeth means a continual word. It's continual. It's current. doesn't mean the old, not, not current. It just means you better know what God's saying as much as you know what God said. It's one thing to know the Bible is true, but if you don't know how to apply that Bible and know what that Bible means to you today, you'll memorialize a book and miss the spirit of the book. Make sense? It's important because I know people that can quote scripture but don't have any life to that scripture. They'll kill you with it. They'll beat you down with it. It's got to be proceeding. It's got to be current. It's got to be relevant in your life today. Fresh, alive, quickening, all of that. But Samuel was still mourning. So God visits Samuel and he says to him, Samuel, you read it. How long are you going to mourn for this guy? I've already rejected him. I've moved on. But you're still memorializing what I've already moved past. You can't go back and keep memorializing. Quit trying to memorialize something that I've already moved on. The longer, huh, the longer you memorialize something that's not anointed any longer, it had its time, it had its moment, it was a good memory. It had great success. You had celebrations, you had wonderful times. The moment you hang your hat on that, you miss verse two, which says, I need you to go on. The, even though there's memories here that are good, some disappointments were here, even though you're looking back going, God, I wish I could have changed some stuff there. My God, if I'd have just had that over to do again, I, but you can't go back and redo. You gotta move on. If you ever get an opportunity to redo, it has to come up in your future. It can't come back up in your past. It's got to come up in your future. Otherwise, you'll have to leave it behind. But the Bible's full of having great memories and having some not so good memories, but it's also full of moving forward. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. If it's going to be new, even some of the old things have to be resurrected before they become new. I'm talking to a, a church right now, not in this area here in, in West Virginia, Kentucky, and I was meeting with some of the people there. They, uh, they had 1,000 people at one time, 126 years old, and they have four. Now, plus two makes the pastor, and his wife is six. And the people that are there are incredibly passionate I mean, they're faithful, they're dedicated, they're, they're there. And the pastor calls me. We had a mutual friend, and they call. And he said, I, I, we made a decision two years ago to go ahead and let it die. So they asked me if I would come down. So I walked in the, in the building, and I'm looking at this building that seats 1,000 people. I'm looking at pictures that have 1,000 people in front of this church back in black and white picture days. Kids, and I'm watching it, and I'm looking around this thing. And he said, "Yeah, we've decided, you know, it's the best thing for the the, the people. They just can't do it anymore. These four members are are elderly, and it's just hard to to do." And I'm looking at this thing, going, "My God, there's a there's a room with full of heritage here. It's pictures and all this." And then I start looking. 
And the more we talked, I said, this is hospice. I feel hospice here. I said, this is like hospice. I said, you're at the end of this thing, aren't you? And he said, yeah. And he's just waiting on it to die. He's just waiting on it to fall away. So I said to him, I said, this is going to sound bad. I said, it's necessary for it to die so it can be resurrected. What kind of quality of life is to keep it on life support, but not going anywhere? You believe in God for a miracle? They were believing Jesus not to die too. It was necessary that Jesus died so he could be resurrected in the spiritual form. So I said, and this is tough, I said, is this your bread or is it your seed? If it's your bread, you'll keep eating it while it's on life support. If it's your seed, you'll go ahead and plant it in the ground knowing unless a corn of wheat dies, in the ground and planted, abides alone, it cannot spring up to bring forth fruit, good fruit. It's all how you see it. It's all how you perceive it. So we start talking vision. We start talking, here, and they had a map of the city. They had a, I mean, this was just incredible. And I'm looking at this, and they gave it a good shot. And they said, uh, what would you do? And I, <laughs> I said, hey, I'm probably not the guy to ask. Here's why. I don't have 126 years of heritage here. I don't have the loyalty or the, 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 the memories. I see pictures. I don't, I, my great-grandfather wasn't the one that was laying the brick. But the one of your four is. I'm not your guy to ask. I said, but I'm going to ask you this. What do you want to see happen? What do you want to see happen? Tears in his eyes. He said, well, the church is not a building. I said, exactly, it's not a building. I said, but tell that young lady there that she's in her late 70s that her great-grandfather put the bricks on that it's, the church isn't the building. Tell her that. Tell that young lady that is 79 that walked barefoot to Sunday school when there was a thousand people here. Tell her that. Tell the five churches that started from this church that are all over this city with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people being saved over the last 50 years. Ask them if a church is a building. Obviously, the church is a people. But even God needed a place. I felt like they were justifying the loss rather than trying to figure out what God really wanted to do with that building. And over the course of time, and we're still trying to help counsel them and move forward on some things to help them. We'll see what happens. This whole story came back up in my spirit about how the Lord and how Samuel was mourning for Saul. And God had to come down in the middle of that thing and say, 
Samuel, how long are you going to mourn for something that I have already moved on? How long are you going to just keep, it, keep going? I mean, here's the real problem. The problem was Saul was still the king. What they were seeing and living with Saul was the king, but God had moved on. That's tough. When you're the one carrying out the actions of the kingdom's rent from you, Saul, you're still in the place. Saul was also the guy that was getting ready to do what God called him to do. I need you to go to Jesse's house because I have found a man that I'm going to anoint as the king of Israel. I need you to go. Get up off yourself. I need you to quit worrying about what was past. Get up and go do what I called you to do. Here's what happened. He gets up. He starts going, to the, and he says, wait a minute. If I go down here and anoint a king while the, Saul is still king, he's going to kill me. My God, he's going to kill me. So God gives him an alibi. So just go to take a heifer and go do a sacrifice and invite Jesse to it. You know, Samuel was, that was a weak moment. Samuel was smart. Man, he's going to kill me if he finds out I'm down there anointing a king. God says, take a, sacri- take a sacrifice and go you know, get them all together and sanctify them as a sacrifice. Even when God calls you to do something that's hard, that calls you to be a little afraid, he'll still provide a way of escape for you. He'll provide protection for you in the midst of your way out when you're moving on to the next thing. But as long as you're still trying to mourn Saul and be in disobedient what God's telling him to go forward, you've got this dichotomy going on and you're double-minded in all your ways. So he says, let's go. So you know the story. Samuel comes, has the horn of oil in his hand. The first one looks the part, the oldest son. Jesse's got them all there. It's all seven of them. He says, this is, this is it. I got him. Well, it's, it's obvious to Samuel, this has got to be him. He looks the part, pretty comparable to Saul. I mean, he's a good-looking guy. He's tall. He's got the, the physical body. He's got the, the attributes. It just makes sense. And I'm here at Saul, so, so or Samuel's, or Jesse's house, so I might as well go ahead and just do this. And then all of a sudden, God says, that ain't the guy. Then he goes, well, okay, that's not him. So he goes to the next one in line, thinking, well, maybe it's not the oldest brother, but maybe it's the second to the oldest brother. And then he goes to him, and then Shama, and all the way down through the entire seven sons. Finally, Samuel's going, this is not working. Something's not right. I've got a mandate from God to anoint the next king. Now watch this. Do you have anybody else? Jesse, yes, I've got one out in the field. He's out there with the sheep. Bring him in. He's got to be the one. So he comes in. Samuel looks at him, says, that's the one. Now, that's a surprise to everybody. Nobody thought that was the guy. And, God take, and Samuel puts the oil, pours it on his head. It goes down his, from his head all the way down through his face, down to his feet. And then he looks at him and says, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going back to Rama. Now watch this. He didn't give him any more instruction than the fact is that, David, you're now anointed king. The problem was Saul was still king. Even though in the spirit, in God's plan, it had already been rent from him, Saul still had to carry out the duties as of a king, and David had to know that was happening while he was still out here back with the sheep. What do you do when you know you've had an encounter with God? He's given you a vision. He's given you a plan. He's given you a purpose. He's given you this, this some unction on the inside of you, a, a snapshot of your future, and you know it, and it's confirmed by something in your life, and you've got to go back out here with the sheep 
like nothing ever happened. How do you stay content when somebody else is in your spot or somebody else is in your place or they're still being, looks like, blessed and you're over here knowing you're the one that's supposed to be happening? You're, you're the one. Over here, David is fighting with bear and lions and, he, and he, he's preparing and, and, and things are happening over here that, 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 that would normally not happen any other, any other way. He couldn't have got this experience any other place. Now I want you to think about this. The next chapter says this. The Philistines were taunting Israel. And as the Philistines were taunting Israel, you have two people in, 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 in this picture. You've got King Saul, which Saul is the king of Israel, the man that's supposed to call the shots. He's the man that, that makes all the, the decisions and the direction. He's the one that's in charge of the army. He's got Samuel as his prophet, which already has told him the kingdom is rent from him, but he's still in control. God allowed him to stay right there in control. And while this was going on, the Philistines were taunting the children of Israel. So the armies of Israel come forward. King Saul calls the best forward, which is David's brothers. And they're out here and out here with armor. We're not talking about untrained guys. We're talking about guys that have been trained. We're talking about guys that are military geniuses. We're talking about people that are, were, were in the army of God. And I'm not talking about just, I'm in the soldier of the army. I'm talking about people that were trained in the terrain to fight the way those people fought back in those days. So here comes this Goliath, this giant, this big animal that's in front of them, and he's taunting the entire children of Israel. So much so that all of his mighty men of Saul were scared to pieces. They were afraid. How do we fight this guy? So every so often, Goliath would come out and taunt him, and taunt him, and Tom says, listen, here's how this is gonna work. If, if you all fight me, send your best forward. This is a gladiator fight, guys. If you fight me, send your best. If you beat me, we'll all serve you. But if you lose to me, your whole nation is going to serve us. It's man against man. Me as the representation here, and you send forth your representation, and the winner takes all. And they were scared to death. They were scared to death. Well, now watch this. Time went past by, and when time was passing by, Jesse kind of worried about his boys because his boys were all in the army of the Israelites. And, and he said, I, I, gotta, I gotta find out how they're doing. So he goes back out to the, now think about this. He goes back out to the field and calls David to come to himself. He said, come here, David, I want you to do something for me. Now, you got a guy over here that's still got the crown named Saul. You've got a guy that's got the oil and anointing on his life that's in the field. Watch this. Jesse calls David and says, I need you to go check on my boys. I need you to take some cheese and some bread, and we're going, I want you to take these sandwiches. I want you to take them down there and check on them, and you come back and give me a report. David says, okay, now I want you to think about this. David, the chosen one, the anointing oil from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, is now a delivery boy. He was a a sheep herder out here, a farmer, tended to his dad's sheep. Now he's, he's delivering food. What happened? If I'm David, I'm going, this is my, when Jesse calls him in and says, listen, I need you to come over here. 
This is it, David. You've been out there on the field. You know, remember when Samuel put that oil on your head? You've been anointed to be the, 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 the great. You know all those visions and dreams you have, David? This is it. This is it. You're being summoned to something bigger than you. I know you've been thinking it wasn't going to happen. I know you were thinking it wasn't going to be like you thought it was going to be. I, I know you're thinking, oh, hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm just out here with the sheep, smelling like sheep, working with sheep, loving the sheep, being with the sheep, calling, counting sheep, doing it all. And, and now as he gets a call from his dad saying, I need you to do something for me. So you know good and well David's running to the front going, oh, this is it, man. This is it. What, anything, Dad, what do I need to do? I need to deliver some sandwiches. I'd be like, you know you're supposed to have that position in that company. And they ask you to drive the car down to get it repaired. What? No, I'm supposed to be, no, you're going to pick somebody up at the airport and pick them up something to eat. You're going to move those tables over there. What? Do you know who I am, Jesse? I bet he didn't call him dad anymore. I bet he called him Jesse. Jesse, I'm, I'm, I'm Jesse, you're dad, I'm David, you're Jesse, I'm the king. No, he said, okay, I'll do it, dad. He had a good heart. He goes, I'll take the cheese, I'll take the bread. He goes down and makes the travel and the journeys. He comes into the land where this big old standoff is going on. Now, watch what happens. Now, keep in mind, David's delivering groceries, and he's anointed to be king. And he comes up on the midst of this fight and this taunting and he looks around. His brothers see him coming, going, ah, oh, here he is. There he goes again. Here he comes. He thinks he's all that. And then David says, well, what are you all doing? What are you all afraid here? What's going on? And his brothers are going, you're so full of pride. You're so full of pride. And David's going, I might be full of pride, but you're ready to urinate all over yourself, my friend. You're scared to death. You're about to <laughs> pee your pants. Look at you. Every time he comes out and taunts you, you kind of run away. Run away. Oh, that was church, right? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. It's in the Bible. I even used a good word. All right? So here he comes back. David says, look at you guys. What are you talking about? Me being in pride. You guys are scared. What is going on here? And his brothers were just kind of pushing him away, pushing him away, pushing him away. Because they were in the room, if you remember, the day Samuel passed them by. No, not him. Not him. Not him. Yep, it's him. That stuck in their head, and it stuck in David's head, but David was patient and faithful to deliver those foods. So he walks up on the scene, and as this is happening, he's exchanging with his brother. David says, what's happening? What's, what's going on? Why is this guy? Who is this guy? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is the guy that doesn't have a covenant like we do with God? Who is the guy that's on the wrong side of the fence? Who is this guy that thinks, I know he's bigger, and I know I'm little, but who is this guy that thinks he's all that? Something's got to change here. One of the other men spoke to him and said, here's the deal, David. That's Goliath. And the story is, if we got to pick somebody to beat him, and if we lose to him, we all serve Philistines, and if, they, if we beat him, they all serve us. And David said, what's the story? What's the, what's, what, what's the reward? What's this? What's the reward? David said, the reward is what? And one guy spoke up and said, David, here's what's going to happen. King Saul said, he would let you marry his wife or marry his daughter. You'd marry his daughter. So I get his daughter, he's the beautiful one? Yeah, you get his daughter. You get unlimited wealth. 
seriously. And you and your family don't have to pay taxes. Look at this. David didn't just ask that one time. David said, say that again. David asked him to repeat that. We all got David way over here going, I'm going to do this out of honor. I'm going to come over here and I'm going to take Goliath out, Goliath out just because I want to do it for the sake of the family. No, my friend. David said, wealth, no taxes, and a beautiful woman, where do I sign up? That's what he said. He asked him to repeat it to himself. Say that again. So David, so David saw the reward. And David wasn't afraid to accept the reward. Church today is this. No, i just a humble servant of God. And I want, no. You're not in this just to get by. Otherwise, you'll be just getting by. This is bigger than you. And God's trying to reward you. So David comes around. He says, I'm the guy. I'll do it. Word got back to Saul that David said, I'm going to step up and take this battle on. Watch this. Say, Saul comes back and says, who said that? They said, David. Well, Saul was desperate. Saul had already known that the kingdom was rent from him. So he's reaching for some answers that he don't know where they're coming from. And Saul, Saul's looking and going, my God. And ever since David was anointed, that spirit of evil spirit was on Saul's life. He was tormented. Not knowing how to make this, a confusion came upon him. So David says, I'm in. Saul says, okay, if you're going to do it. David said one more time, he said, now what do I get for this? Yep. He did. He said, you get my beautiful daughter, you get wealth, and you'll get no taxes for you and your family. He says, let's fight. Saul takes off his armor, puts it on David. David puts all his armor on, and he looks up, and now it's about to go down. It's about to get it on. This is happening. And what really got began to happen was when David put on Saul's armor, something inside of David went... This just don't feel right. He said these words. He said, I've never proven this. And they said, David, what do you think you're going to do? How are you going to win this battle without Saul's armor? He's the king. But what they don't know is what David knew. Oh, you don't, what you don't understand. I was out on the sheep with the sheep. I got summons into the house, and a prophet came and poured some oil on my head from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I know I don't look the part. I don't have the position. I'm not even born in the right family. I know. I know all of that. But somehow, and I know it looks like I'm a delivery boy today, but I recognize something's about to happen in my life. I recognize something's about to change in my life. So David says, I can't use your armor. Your way won't work for me. I appreciate the counsel, but I got to fight this fight myself. I appreciate your advice, but I got to fight this fight myself. I appreciate the scriptures that you stood on when you went through your battle, but I got to fight this fight myself. I appreciate the prayers and the support and the attaboys and the pat on the backs and the high fives and, and the strategies and the tactics, and I appreciate that, but this one is between me and him, and I've got God on my side. I'm not going down. Here's what David realized. David said to this, David said, I'm smart enough to know that when I was out here with the sheep, a bear rose up and I killed the bear. A lion rose up and I killed the lion. Something is on my life that I can't understand, I can't explain, I don't really, really, really see it all the way, but I know I'm in the process 
of promotion and I'm smart enough to recognize the process of my promotion and the giant that stands at that door is my promotion and it's not fighting the fight that is the right way. You gotta win the fight. Saul did not look at David and said, listen, if you'll just go here and fight this guy, I'll give you my, my daughter, my wealth, and no taxes. No, you gotta win. You gotta, listen, the church has gone to this. We'll fight the fight of faith. No. Quit fighting for fighting's sake. You gotta win. There are rewards waiting on you the other side of your giant. The giant is standing right at the door. Your adversary is standing right at the door. And he is going to point out your way of promotion. He's standing in the way, he will taunt you. If you don't know the ways of God, you don't know the things of God and how the vision that he's given you, the circumstances of life will draw you in He'll take you to the step that causes you to look your adversary right in the face. And if you look your adversary right in the face, through that door is your crown. It's through that door that is your crown. It's not that you, I fought a good fight. I run a good race. You got to win. You got to overcome. If addiction is causing you to stay paralyzed, don't put on somebody else's armor. You need the armor that God gave for you. Right? If your marriage is falling apart and everybody else is telling you how to do it, listen, the adversary is standing right at the door. You appreciate the counsel. I appreciate the support. I appreciate the encouragement. But yours will not work for me. This battle is mine. I know how to get success, and I appreciate how you made all that money, and I appreciate how you got all that, but here's what I'm telling you. What's going to get me into the family, I'm changing that. You don't understand. He went from Jesse's son to Saul's daughter's husband. The fight and the victory was going to change his position. He married into it. They said, what are you going to do, David? How's this going to work for you? I don't need this armor. I appreciate it, but I don't need it. I need a, I got this shepherd's bag, and I got, give me, I got five smooth stones. I got smooth. This is, what are you going to, now I can imagine the brothers over here going, there he goes again. There, 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 he, there he, look at him. And I promise you, I know somehow some, Christian brothers are, and they'll go, bless his heart. But in their heart, they're going, I hope he gets his head beat in. He's full of pride. He needs to be knocked down a notch. I don't know who he thinks he is. I hope, I hope it works out for him. Not. I hope it turns into something good for him, but I just hope he gets beat up a little bit. Just teach him a lesson. So they're over, you know that's happening. If you haven't, you haven't been in church very long. Okay, if you grew up in church, you'd understand. They're happy for you when they're happy for them. But true friends and true relationships and covenant people would have stood right up there and said, David, you're not going to fight this alone. We're going to fight this with you. And David would have had to still say, this ain't your fight. This is mine. But I appreciate the offer. Now, those guys, those guys have already been taunted for 40 days. So here they go. David takes the, that, that, listen to this, takes that, 
those five stones, takes that shepherd's bag and that slingshot, and you know the story, and it says he took that sling, and as that, 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 that giant was coming at him, taunting him, saying, who are you, mocking him, calling him dogs, calling him, belittling him. Now, I'm talking about this for just a second, because that giant we know is Goliath, but I'm talking about its sickness, its addiction, its fear, its anxiety, its it's whatever giant is facing you, whatever taunts itself at you, fear of failure, fear of your past. You got regrets. You made mistakes in the past. You're afraid of yourself. You don't trust yourself. It, all these things are coming up going, oh, yeah, I'm ready to come at you. I'm ready to come at you. And David looked at him and said, listen, I've got to win this fight. So David takes the sling, takes the stone. You know the story. He slings that, that stone, hits Goliath right in the head. Why in the head? The head is the authority of that thing. He's going to talk, take his head off. So look, Goliath that came down in the middle of the, the, the field gets knocked to the ground. That didn't kill Goliath. Too many Christians are knocking it down but ain't killing it. You won't kill it with your own stone. You'll kill it with its own sword. So he runs over grabs Goliath's sword out of his hand, cuts off his head, and kills him in his own field. Takes the head back. <laughs> Gives it to Saul. Here you go. Where is she? <laughs> Get out the checkbook. Right? right? That's exactly what happened. He came back for his reward. He brought the head of that thing back to his, the king. Now, what's this? After David did that, everything changed. Because what really took place there is a microcosm and a picture of we know is a really good story. But about 2,000 years ago, there was an enemy, Satan himself, that had come down in the middle of our field and had tormented us, taunting us. And every time that Slewfoot raises its head and anxiety picks you up. Or that, you know that mistake you made about three years ago when every, a lot of people know about it? And every time you think about it or somebody brings it up to you or you run into somebody that knows about it and it raises its head, you go, oh, it buckles you. You might, might not talk about or, or, or when you really had a role and you, you messed up and you, you, you really fell down to the ground and you just, you misused it and now you're trying to climb back up again. It raises its head. Well, about 2,000 years ago, that thing raised its head against mankind. But there was a, a man named Jesus that stayed out in the field. That God anointed to come into the... the, the and and, and for, for 4,000 years, all the brethren of the Christians, all they could do was shake and quake at the enemy's roar. Jesus comes down, like David come in, and, and, and what was in control at the time was the Ten Commandments, the law. So the law gets placed on Jesus, and Jesus looks at the law and says, I know I'm supposed to go take his head off, but I'm not going to take his head off that way. I'm going to show you a different way of fighting. I'm going to come down in the middle of the field, and I'm going to behead him with his own sword. 
He thinks he's going to kill me, but he can't kill me. I lay my life down. Watch this. As he lays his life down, the enemy thought they had it made. For three days, they thought they had it made. At the end of the third day, he raises back up. And now, Goliath, the enemy, the devil, that once was in power, taunting with very much roaring lion, has now been defeated and beheaded. Why beheaded? Because the head represents the highest level of authority. And when the enemy was beheaded, taken off at the cross, death has no victory in, or, or, or the grave has no victory and sting. Right? It's gone. Now, we're living life looking at this thing ahead going, I can't hardly believe this. If you knew, if you knew, your adversary was already defeated, you wouldn't bow to his roar when he raises his head. See, they had a David that killed Goliath and Goliath and all the Philistines had to come and serve them. Jesus is our David. And the reason David had to have Saul's daughter because the lion of the tribe of Judah was going to come out of the house of who? David. He had to get in the family so he could bring through the lineage our king. Are you tracking with this? So now Jesus is in the lineage of David. He's not in the lineage of Saul. He's not a Benjaminite. He's from the tribe of Judah. Right? So now Jesus is the king that defeated your Goliath on the cross, beheaded him 2,000 years ago. But that's not the rest of the story. The best part of the story is this. Goliath and the Philistines had to serve the Israelites. If you only knew what you're afraid of is the door to your promotion and know it has to serve you. You've got obstacles. I'm telling you, you've got obstacles. We all have them and they're right here. And they're looking, we're looking at him right in the face, going, oh my God, oh my God. Instead of seeing that from a fallen nature, can you not see that, that you're in the family? You don't have to be David, Jesus already is. See, we're trying to fight these things the way David fought. Just give me the stone, give me the shepherd back, give me the, I'm ready to take this, I'm ready to take this thing ahead. No, 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 you don't understand. Eliab was the oldest brother that got passed over for the kingship to get to David. The anointing oil fell on David, didn't fall on Eliab. But when David killed Goliath, guess who got the benefits of being in the family? Eliab. Now Eliab is entitled to everything David just won for them. 
They got, Eliab was David's brother. The reward was, you get my daughter, you get unlimited wealth, and you don't pay taxes. Eliab didn't have to pay taxes and didn't even fight. Are you all getting this? You have to understand what Christ did for you gave you rewards and we've been so focused on the fight with our enemy, we haven't even started focusing on the rewards. We think we have to redo what Christ has already done. If you begin to recognize, even though you don't know your process, you don't know your promotion, you don't know, and all those dreams and visions and all these wonderful things that you have aspirations of and they're in your heart and you've seen glimpses of them, the pressure is not on you to make all the right decisions. The pressure on you is to recognize when that thing pops up in front of you, it's your opportunity to know that your adversary is at the door to your promotion. You'll see the opportunity, you'll see struggles as opportunities. Oh God, you mean to tell me? Yes, this thing's about ready to kill me. Yes, it's about ready to kill me. But I know if I win, I get accelerated into my promotion. This is good. You gotta understand, David was minding his own business. I'm tired of trying to be David. Jesus is our David. So sickness is on your body. Oh God, I gotta fight the fight the, I gotta fight the fight of faith. I gotta fight the fight of faith. It's not your faith that makes you whole. Listen to me. It's his faith that made you whole. If you can have faith in your faith and not faith in faith, the pressure is off of you, otherwise you're taxed. Taxes are pressures and payments that you get no benefit from. So the enemy wants you to be taxed and pressured that you're feeling an obligation to pay and you're feeling like, oh my God, what do I gotta do, what do I gotta do? It is not your faith. I'm tired of hearing people that say this person didn't get healed because they didn't have the faith. Listen, the fact that you even inquired of God in your situation is faith. If you got enough faith to get saved, you got enough faith for everything else. And I got better news than that. I don't care whether you got enough faith to get saved. He does. That's right. Amen. <laughs> what? It just you just believe that he has faith. Have the faith of God. And if you don't think that's true, you go back and tell me every time you had it all worked out perfect and it worked out just the way you thought it did. It was supposed to. And then tell me other times when you did really bad and it still turned out for your good. And you want, you want to take blame, you want to take credit. How about we still take either one and put it all on him? I've learned a long time ago, man, if you get the credit, you got to take the blame. Right? It's all on him. It's his faith that you made whole. Now, we don't have to be David. We have a David and his name is Jesus the Christ. We're in the family of Jesus the Christ. We get the rewards based on his victory. Yeah. 
Not his fight, his victory. The children of Israel go to, Israel, to, to the Philistines after they won, David won the battle. And they took all the spoils. The Bible called it booty. They took it all. They took it and everything. So all of those people had to come be slaves to them and work for them. And all the stuff that they had comes and goes into the camp of the Israelites. When Jesus defeated Satan and flesh on the cross, flesh becomes subservient to you. And everything that's been out there acquired by the works of the flesh now comes to you for the kingdom's sake. It's going to take three things. Are you ready for them? Three things. You've got to get obsessed about your future. I'm talking about obsessed. I'm talking about I'm making a decision, and I'm, I'm telling you there ain't nothing, no hell or high water going to stop me. I am fixated on where my future is. I have some losses. I have some pains. I have some baggage. I've got some hurts. I've got some scars. I've got some limps. My body don't work like it used to work. My mind is not as sharp as it used to work, but I'm fixated. But I'm in a jam right now. I'm in a position of a holding period. I can't move forward. I can't move backward. I'm fixated on my future. I'm fixated on where I'm going. I'm, I'm talking about obsessed with it. I'm talking about compulsive with it. I'm talking about nothing's going to stop me from succeeding at what I see in my spirit. What? Yes. I see it. I can see it. I can taste it. That's step one. You've got to get fixated on what you see. If you don't see, you're aimless, and you'll miss when he directs your steps in the middle of the door of the adversary that is your promotion. You've got to be fixated on it. Ready? Number two, you've got to have crazy, radical behavior and habits and change. You gotta get moving. You gotta start doing some stuff. What? You gotta start. Yes. David looked at him and said, All right, I got, Saul, this isn't gonna work for me, this armor. I appreciate it, but I gotta fit. And David came and said, Listen, let's go. David ran at Goliath. He ran at him. And let me tell you something if you get fixated on where you're headed and you begin to have some change in your life and some movement in your life, don't sit back and just wait on something to happen. Don't just sit back and twiddle your fingers and say, well, I'm waiting on the Lord to have. David was on the field with the sheep. But while David was over there and he couldn't promote himself, he still killed a few bear and killed a few lion. Don't just sit over here and twiddle your fingers. The only thing that passes by in this moment, you can be fixated on it, and the only thing that passes by is time. Your moments, your momentum. Here's why you have to have massive injection of action and move. It creates momentum. Without it, what if you're making wrong decisions? Then make a right one. What if I make, oh my God, what if I get myself in a mess? Get yourself out of it. Here's what happens. You have no room for grace. No room for God's movement. If you don't move, he's not going to drive a parked car. Fixated on your future. And now I'm here. I got to move. I got to make the effort, effort of the contract. I got to make the call to the customer. I've got to move that from that house. I got to start for that job. I gotta, and here's what happens. 
Once you begin leaning into it and making choices and decisions that lean into what you're fixated on, you get yourself in two things, obligated, and now you're stuck because you're going, oh my God, I've come too far to go back. I can't quit now. Why? Because you've already bound yourself with some decisions in your actions on the thing you were fixated with. It's the best place you'll ever be. The worst place is still sitting back wondering what will happen. What would if happen? You can't live in hypotheticals. It's not today's day. There's two, we're living in a time where opportunity of destiny is never like it's ever been before. And you can't just sit back and wait on it to happen. You've got to act, you've got to apply, you've got to move, you've got to get going. And then you've got to look for the hand and the grace of God as you're leaning into this thing. That's when you discover the goodness of God because you realize, oh my goodness, I couldn't have made that happen. He did it. David put the, 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 the stone, hit him right in the head, and he fell over. Do you think that was because David was the good guy with a slingshot? No, it was the, the marksmanship of God that hit him right in the head. And then David had the sense enough to know to recognize grace. And he went over and cut his head off when he had the opportunity in the moment. David didn't just step back and say, get up. Let's go again. I got four other stones here. Come on, let's go one more time. No, no, no. He seized the moment and the opportunity by making massive change, massive movement and momentum. And he recognized when momentum was happening. And the third thing you got to have is you got to have resolve. You have to have resilience in your heart that says this, come hell or high water, what I'm fixated on and what I've got myself in the mess now is going to work out in my favor. I've never met anybody that had fixations on on their future, obsessed with where they're going, didn't make the next steps and a series of steps to get in here and then find themselves in a situation that said, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? It either looks like it's gonna fall apart or you're gonna look like a big hero. But either way, the grace of God says this, I'm not stopping where I am. I'm resolved, I'm, I'm not moving backward. I got this thing. Well, all the signs around you say you don't have it. I'm not looking at the signs. I'm looking at what I'm fixated on. And I'm looking at the conviction in my heart. And in the middle of this, step one, obsession, fixation. And the second step is when the enemy comes to the door because he wants to stop the fruit of that victory. And if you'll recognize the enemy positions himself in front of the door that you're supposed to walk through. I've got four doors to look at. Well, the one the enemy, the one that has the least resistance is probably not the one you're going to pick. Here I go. So I gotta make some decisions. I gotta move forward in some things. I gotta, I gotta make some radical change in my life. Yeah, you do. You do. We all do. But like never before have I seen it like it is today. I said a lot. 
to say this. We've made it real complicated. We're fighting battles that Christ has already won. We're trying to muster up enough faith that he already carried the weight of that faith for you. We got too much taxes that we put on ourselves, and we're over, over pressured, depressed, oppressed, repressed. And I'll tell you the reason we call this church expression is because the opposite of depression, repression, and oppression is expression. And what you don't express, you will depress. You need to get a vision. We're in the first 90. You got to get fixated on it. What you put on the shelf and tabled for a long time, man, David was anointed and had to go back to the field. I'm calling you out of the field. I'm calling you away from the sheep right now. I'm calling you away from that. Yeah, you've got some great testimonies where you killed a few bear, killed a few lion, but where you're being summoned to now is to take you into the fullness of the promises that somebody else has already paid the price for. Would you stand with me? Has this helped anybody today? It's helped me. We're going to look at the life of David over the next six weeks, five weeks. But every time you see David, I want you to see Christ. You got to. David looked through and prophesied and looked through and he said, man, I see a, I, he prophesied this. He said, I see a time when there's going to be a whole generation of people on the earth that, man, they're blessed because he don't, God didn't hold their sins and their iniquities against them anymore. Man, we're trying to get to David's worship when David prophesied and was trying to get to where we're living. Think about that. The biggest fallacy of the enemy that has is he's got us wrestling and fighting things. It's like shadow boxing. There's nobody there to fight it. He's already taken him out. But some reason, we've, we just don't have the courage or the boldness that rises up inside of us to say, I will, because we want instant gratification, we want instant relief, we want instant, and I think there's, there's going to be some instant stuff happening. I really do. And I think they're going to see some miracles that start taking place. I think you're going to see signs and wonders and all those things taking place. But with all of that, we got to prepare our hearts to be victorious in our lives. Man, we're, Jesus paid a big price and he's only getting a partial reward. It would be like this. David killed Goliath. He takes his wife. He takes his bag of money and, and his tax-free certificate and he goes back to the field over in the farm with the sheep and him and his wife have a good life. And Hope you all, brothers, hope it all works out for you. Let me know if I can help you anyway. Let me know. No. You're going to see this over the next several weeks. David threw a series of... David never went back to the field. Saul began to summons David. And David, as he went through the door of his position that led him into that promotion, through that door became a trail of events, up and down, hills and valleys, ins and outs, 
until David was crowned king of Israel. It's going to be good. I want us to live victorious in all of our life. And when stuff comes up, I want us to go, oh, God, I don't want to be afraid of that. Even though we recognize that it has the potential to be fearful. But it has to somehow work to my advantage. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes if you don't mind? No one's looking around. And just a few, moments, few, few weeks ago, I was talking to a lady on the phone, and she had a really bad situation, lives away from here, and she got dealt a really hard blow. A phone, conversation, phone call came to her, and it was just on the surface looked really bad. She said, oh, my God, what am I going to do? This is, looks like the end here. And I said, oh, God, this is exciting. And she said, I don't understand how you can say this is exciting. I said, you don't understand. I know how the Father works. And he's held and bound by his promises. All of a sudden, her perception started changing of the situation. Her situation hadn't changed, but her perception did. And as she started seeing it differently, something started rising up inside of her. And when it did, she began to speak forth the things that lined up with those promises. Just the other day, she calls me back and she says, I had no idea. She said, I could have went into a deep depression, but I allowed the spirit to rise up inside me. And she said, this is turning around in my favor. It's still tough and it's still a fight. She said, but I realize it's a fight I don't have to fight. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all the people that are watching by internet and all the people that are here this morning. And I pray, God, that the revelation and the unpacking of David's just brief couple chapters of his life opened up an understanding of how that relates to us. Sometimes, God, we get afraid and get scared when obstacles that just seem bigger than us come up in front of us. And, and we just sometimes shake and we're looking for counsel and looking for answers and looking for ways. How do we fight this? How do we fight this? And, and not even recognizing, God, that you've already fought that fight, beheaded that thing, took it off its shoulders, and then you brought it back. And now those things are supposed to serve us instead of us serving them. I, I'm asking you, Father, to make that a real practical way of life for us, that we'll have the discernment to see spiritually, internally into situations and circumstances. And as we see them internally, God will be able to recognize how they work for us and not against us. And what really is supposed to be brought by fear and taunting will rise up in us as, as faith, knowing, God, that you've already declared the victory and won the victory for us. We can't sing, God, your triumphant, you're the victor, we have the victory in you, you're the overcomer. We can't sing all of that, God, and not live it in reality. And somewhere between the concept of the, your victorious life and the reality of our wandering life, we're asking you to build the bridge and the, fill the gap and help us be able to 
walk towards you as you walk towards us or somehow meet us in the middle or just come over here where we are and carry us. Whatever it takes to get us into that place, we're trusting you. We're trusting you for practical, everyday solutions to life. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you all.